Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 today. Uh, This is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. I think it's uh, well known not only in the church, but in in our culture. We have uh, hospitals and organizations named after this story. We have actually laws in the state of Pennsylvania called Good Samaritan Laws. Um, we have uh, the, the well-known saying, passed by on the other side, that comes from this story. So it's a, it's a well-known story, but actually I think the point of this story is not very well-known. Uh, very often when this uh, passage is thought of or taught and even preached, often I think the, the lesson relates to, you know, Christianity, it's not about, it's not about doctrine, it's not about the gospel, it's, it's not about the forgiveness of sins, uh, it's not about missions and evangelism. What, what, what Christianity is really about is compassion and showing mercy to those in need. Now, of course, Christians are deeply, deeply concerned about loving their neighbor and showing compassion and mercy to those in times of need. But I want to say to you today, that's not what this passage is chiefly about. Okay? So today, I want us to see why Jesus tells this story. But before we read God's word. Let's look to him in prayer and ask for his help. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're about to look at a story uh, about a man who was an expert in the Bible. He was a Bible scholar, and uh, he didn't get it. Uh, He didn't understand uh, what your word said. That leads us, Lord, to recognize how desperately we need uh, your Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us today. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work among us today, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive uh, your holy and good and inspired word. Uh, Keep us and guard us from uh, religious hypocrisy. And Lord, let us hear the clear message of this text. And once again, afresh, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who gives us the gift of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord, so let's hear it. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, By chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion." He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I think it's right to say all of us uh, despise hypocrisy. Uh, We don't like it when a uh, political candidate makes uh, campaign promises and then when he assumes office reneges on those promises. Uh, We don't like it when preachers call people to holiness and then later are found out to be living in persistent scandalous sin. We, we don't like it when we think we know someone and we find out they are not the person we thought that they were. Um, a cultural example of that, I remember the whole Bill Cosby scandal that recently surfaced. Part of the disgust was not just regarding the nature of what was going on, but also people felt like they had really been deceived, didn't they? We don't, like, we don't like hypocrisy. And I want us to see that the subject of the Good Samaritan is actually just that, hypocrisy. Particularly self-righteous, legalistic, moralizing uh, fraudulence. That's what this story is really all about. And I want us to see today how Jesus addresses the topic of, of religious hypocrisy and see how he he, he exposes it and he challenges it head on. I, so I really, I, I only have one point for us today. If you want to take notes today, here's our one point. What is the, the parable of the Good Samaritan all about? It's about how Jesus challenges and exposes religious hypocrisy. You know, some people argue that religion produces uh, fraudsters, people who say one thing and then do another. And I think... Well, what I want you to realize today is actually Jesus agrees with that complaint. When it comes to man-made religion, what does it produce? It produces spiritual frauds. And I want us to see clearly how Jesus challenges and exposes religious hypocrisy. So this passage, take a look at it with me. It begins with a question put to Jesus by a lawyer. Now, not a not a litigator in a court of law, but, a, but a, a, a scribe, a Bible expert, a Bible scholar, someone who was an expert in, on, on Torah. Okay, and he, he asks this question, and it's clearly not a friendly one. It's not a question asked seeking understanding. It's not a question asked in good faith to understand the teaching of Jesus, but rather this, uh, this Bible expert wants to trip Jesus up. And he wants to put Jesus to the test. And so you can imagine him you know, kind of setting up this test question because he wants to catch Jesus in, in a mistake. So look at his test question in verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's a great question. Except Luke has already told us what's going on here. You, you, you get a feel for this guy. He's, he's smug. He's arrogant. He's the one who knows his Bible. He's the one with the answers, and he's bringing the test to Jesus. It's actually a good question, though. 
question that we all should ask ourselves, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But as you know, the motive behind a question actually determines the quality of that question, doesn't it? Have you ever had this experience when somebody asks you a question, and, and as you think about the question a little bit, it becomes clear that that person doesn't actually want an answer. What they actually want to do is make a point or to find you in some hidden fault. And so I think the picture here is of this scribe kind of setting a trap on the ground, and he's hoping Jesus will walk right into it so he can, he can kind of say, aha, we caught you in this, in this theological mistake. But of course, Jesus knows what this lawyer's up to. He knows this lawyer's heart, and Jesus does what he so often did in these situations. He answers a question with a question of his own in verse 26. What's written in the law? How do you read it? You know, you're, you're the Bible expert, so Mr. Bible expert, why don't you tell me how uh, the Torah tells you how to inherit eternal life? And, and he kind of popped up short. Okay, I've got, I've got this ready answer. The, uh, the Bible lawyer comes back and quotes two scriptural texts. First of all, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus 19, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man says, I must keep the law. Uh, he's summarizing, if you like, the Ten Commandments. I must love God and I must love my neighbor. How do I inherit eternal life? By obedience to the moral law of, of God. That's how I inherit eternal life, Jesus. And maybe it comes as a shocker. And, you know, here's the kicker. Jesus comes back and says, bingo, you got it. That's the correct answer. I say that's maybe a shocker because here we are, you know, in a reformed evangelical church and we confess together that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And here's this guy saying, I inherit eternal life by keeping the law. And Jesus says, you, you've nailed it. That's the correct answer. So what's Jesus up to? I, I, I think what Jesus is up to is really a master stroke. To understand what he's up to, you have to hear the rest of what he says to the lawyer. He says, you have answered correctly, now do it, and you will live. And he, say, he says that twice after he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now you go and do likewise. If you miss that, you miss the point Jesus is actually making. Jesus is not teaching uh, us here that God has given his law to his people in order that they might somehow merit eternal life. Uh, he's not teaching here that the ladder or the law is like some kind of ladder by which we climb up into heaven. Think about how the Ten Commandments is prefaced, how the Ten Commandments is given to God's people. I am the Lord your God who redeemed you out of Egypt. It was, it was grounded in the, the, the sovereign grace of, of God. But here's Jesus, and he's talking to this legalistic, self-righteous lawyer who thinks obeying the law of God is the way for him to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, you're right, you're right. If you're going to inherit eternal life, if you're going to commit yourself to that, if this is the way you're going to get into God's good graces, then there's just one thing you must do. Love God and love your neighbor perfectly continually, endlessly, and you'll live. And so for anyone who, who thinks they can gain 
God's favor and inherit eternal life by their obedience, well, the story is, is written for them. That's who this story is addressed to. And you think about it, that's just about everyone. This is the religion of the world in, in all of its various expressions. This is how they work. How do you inherit eternal life? Islam has its five pillars. Buddhism has its eightfold path. Hindus have their karma. And of course, there's you know, cultural religion in this sort of vague way. Well, if you're a good person, you, you get in. Um, of course, Christians can also uh, establish their own forms of this kind of salvation or eternal life by you know, creating your own law code and keeping it. If you really want to be a serious Christian, here's, here's how you do this. Okay, so, so earn your way into heaven religion. Climb your way into heaven uh, religion. Do it yourself religion is the religion of, of this world. And therefore, this story of the Good Samaritan has a, has a wide universal audience, doesn't it? This man's representative. Now, when, when Jesus surprises this lawyer by agreeing with him and says, okay, if you, if you want to inherit eternal life, here's what you need to do. Keep the law, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. What does, the, what does this Bible scholar immediately have to do? What's he start doing right away? He begins to put limits on God's law, doesn't he? He, he begins to try to put hedges around it, to, to try to reduce its demands on his life, he wants to limit the requirements of God's law, lessen the standard, you know, so he, can, so he can get over the hurdle. And so he says to Jesus in verse 28, look at the language, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So having, having committed himself to inheriting eternal life by obedience to the law, this man, he, he's left with one option. He needs to reduce the demands of God's law so he can make it in, so he can get through the door. He needs, to, he needs to limit the scope of God's law so that there are some people he doesn't have to love. Some people that don't qualify in the category of neighbor so he doesn't have to bother with them, so he doesn't have to be concerned about them. That's what this man is trying to do. So I think what he wants to do is, is lower the requirement of law to a level that he thinks he can attain. Think about it. That's exactly how man-made religions work. You, know, you lower the standard. You drop the requirements down. You make yourself a few loopholes to get through when you're in a bind. And that's what's going on here. You know, years ago, uh, I was at, I think it was Millersville University, I can't, I can't remember, but I was, I was going around asking college students a series of, of questions. And the first question I would ask a student was, do you, do you believe that there is a heaven? And uh, if, a, if, if the student replied yes, my, my next question was, well, okay, how do, you, how do you get there? And if a person's first answer to the question, do you believe there's a heaven, was yes. And the second question, how do you get there? Inevitably, the, the answer to my next question, how do you get there, was always by being a good person. So then I would ask them a third question. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be good? And you know, inevitably, their description of being a good person 
was by and large a description of their own personal morality. Why is that the case? What's going on there? It's because they're creating their own standards by which they can get over the hurdle, by which they can get into God's good graces. They're trying to justify themselves. The irony is, when you actually push back a little bit, people can't even live up to their own standards, let alone God's. So you see, the only way we can justify ourselves by being good people is if we have so reduced and redefined the law of God to describe our own reductionist, pathetic morality. And if God's law is the bar and, and not our self-determined standards, my friends, there's, there's no way we can justify ourselves. There's no way we can inherit eternal life by our own obedience. There's no way we have loved God perfectly, continually, from the moment of our conception with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And there's no way anyone in this room has loved their neighbor as themselves, as God's law requires. And so if we say, I'm keeping the law, I'm doing pretty good, God will accept me, this text, my friend, says you're, you're a hypocritical fraud. And that is, that's utter nonsense. And so the man who says, I've so reduced the requirements of God's law that I can justify myself, Jesus then tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you see what he's doing. He, he tells the story to expose the sin of the lawyer. So Jesus, first of all, challenged the lawyer by asking him the question, or by saying that eternal life will be inherited by obedience to the law. Okay, now go and do it. And now what's Jesus doing? He wants to show the lawyer you're not doing it. You can't do it. So you're reaching the end of your road here, buddy. And so Jesus, this is so important for us to get. Jesus doesn't tell this parable to tell the lawyer how to be a better person. It's akin to what the prophet Nathan did with David in the Old Testament. You remember what King David had done? He had, he had slept with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah killed by putting him on the front lines of the battle. And while he's, he's concealing his sin and hiding it, uh, the prophet Nathan comes to to David and says, I want to tell you a story, a story, David. There's a, there's a poor man with one ewe lamb, and then there's a wealthy man with flocks and flocks of sheep. And you know what that, you know what that wealthy man did? He went to that poor man and he took his lamb and he slaughtered it. And while David is, you know, seething with self-righteous rage, Nathan then says, that's you. That's what you've done. You see, Nathan didn't tell that story to tell David how to be a better person. <laughs> He told the story to expose his hypocrisy and, and his sin. Another parallel passage that I think helps us understand what's going on here in the parable of the Good Samaritan is Luke 18. Someone else asked Jesus this very same question. And you know it, don't you? The, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, very same question. By the way, this tells us, this is occurring again and again in, in the New Testament. What must I do to, for, to inherit eternal life? shows us that Jewish people in the time of Jesus were deeply concerned about personal salvation. That's an important thing to notice because in, in our day, even within evangelical circles, you have people making the argument that early Christians really didn't care at all about personal salvation. They were all about corporate stuff, right? Well, it just doesn't stand up to what the New Testament itself says. But anyway, Luke 18, 
Same question is put to Jesus by the rich ruler. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus do? Same strategy. Go to the law of God. Love God. Love your neighbor. Keep it, and you'll inherit eternal life. <laughs> and then, uh, you, know, you know, the rich wrong ruler comes back. Okay, okay. Good, because I've been doing that since I was just a wee little boy. I've been keeping the law, Jesus. I've done that. And you remember what Jesus did at that point. Okay, okay. Try, try this on for size. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Now, is Jesus saying that in order to be one of his disciples, that's what you and I need to do? We need to go, we need to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor because that's the only way we can be legitimate disciples and followers of Christ. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. So why does Jesus make this particular demand uh, for this uh, rich young ruler? Because he had just gotten done saying, Jesus, I've kept the law from my youth. I've loved God. I love my neighbor. And Jesus says to him, okay, let's, let's give this a shot. Start with the very first commandment. No other gods before me. Love God more than anyone or anything else. So sell your possessions and give your wealth to the poor. And immediately, the idolatry of that man's heart was exposed. He didn't love God. He loved his wealth. He loved his money more than he loved God. And my friends, that's what Jesus is up to in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So take a look at it with me. There was a man traveling the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, listeners um, would have known what road Jesus was referring to. Roughly 17-mile stretch between Jerusalem and Jericho. And it was surrounded by rocks and, uh, and caves, became an infamous place for robbers. And so this man, as Jesus tells this story, is just one more victim among the many who had fallen into the hands of robbers along this road. And what have they done? They've stripped him, they've beaten him, and they've left him for dead. And as it happened, uh, a priest came down the road. But when he saw the man bloody and bruised in a heap uh, alongside the road. Jesus simply says he passed by on the other side. Now we could think, how did he rationalize this? Maybe he's, he's looking at this man and thinks, well, he looks like he's already a goner. I can't touch him. If I touch him, I'll become unclean and I won't be able to perform my priestly duties. I, I've got more important things to do at the temple than bother with this man. And so he just passed by on the other side. Not long after that, Jesus says, here comes another religious person, this time a Levite, another spiritual uh, figure at that time, leader, a sort of temple assistant. He saw this man, and, and we're told he too passed by the other side. Maybe he thought, well, maybe he's bait. You know, Maybe if I stop and try to help this guy, I'm going to get jumped too. So I, better just, I just better keep on moving. You see, so far, it's a stinging indictment on the religious leaders of the day. They look at this man, they see his condition and need, and they just pass right by. So much, Jesus is saying, so much for loving their neighbor as themselves. You see, my friends, mercy and love and kindness and compassion and justice are the, the, essential, uh, the essentials of God's moral law. And my friends, the self-justifying legalistic hypocrites who claim to be keeping the law of God haven't even begun to observe God's law. 
But the story's not finished yet. Uh, a third traveler comes along the road. Now, this is where things get interesting because here's what you need to know. In Jesus' culture, there was a trio of religious leaders. There were priests, there were uh, Levites, and there were scribes, scribes, lawyers. This guy that Jesus is talking to in this story, the one he's telling the parable of the Good Samaritan to. I think we got to imagine it this way. Here's what's going on. Here's this lawyer listening to Jesus just after Jesus said, okay, here's how you do it. Keep the law of God. Go and do it. And now he's telling him this story. And he, okay, Jesus, I'm on to you. I see where you're going with this. The priest failed the test. The Levite failed the test. I need to love my neighbor. I need to show mercy. I need to be compassionate. I get it. He thinks, he thinks he's going to be the hero of the story. And he thinks Jesus is just giving him a moral example of how he is to love his neighbor and inherit eternal life. <laughs> but then Jesus gives him a punch to the gut, doesn't he? <laughs> I love the way Jesus does this. Uh, he says, uh, here's this third traveler. He just kind of says it all, you know, offhand. And it's a Samaritan. It's a Samaritan. Now here's this lawyer expecting this lesson in morals, perhaps expecting to be the hero of the story. But instead, Jesus exposes the hatred in this man's heart. Now, you all know, as John, John 4 tells us, that Jews and Samaritans, they had no dealing with one another. Often their dealings with one another resulted in bloodshed. The Jews despised the Samaritans as socially, ethic, ethnically, and religiously inferior. They were, they were unclean in the eyes of, of a Jew. See what Jesus has done here. He has, he has turned the tables on this guy. And he shows, but in this parable, he also shows how, how deep and how far the love command goes, doesn't he? Uh, the command to love your neighbor extends, yes, to everyone, including Samaritans. And then in the story itself, he shows you that, that love demands sacrifice. Samaritan was no doubt on business of his own. But what does he do? He sets it aside. For an entire day, he cares for this man. At risk to his own life, he, get, he medicates this man. He puts this man on his own animal. He takes him to the nearest in and even tells the innkeeper, I'll be back. So you better be, be sure to care for this man. And if there are any additional expenses, I've got them. I will, I will cover it. I'll pay for the fees. And so he shows us how deep and how far the love command goes. And so there are no ethnic distinctions when it comes to loving my neighbor, no cultural separation in God's law when it comes to loving my neighbor, and there's no social boundaries or religious walls we can erect. My neighbor is anyone, anywhere. My neighbor is any other human being. That's what Jesus is in part showing us in this parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay, so the person who thinks they can be right with God by keeping the law, the person who thinks they can justify themselves by love for God, love for their neighbor, Jesus says, okay, let's just think about that for a minute and see how that's going for you. As to the person who says, I, I don't need forgiveness, I don't need Jesus, I don't, I don't need grace, I'll just, I'll just go on being a decent fellow and God will accept me. Jesus says, here's God's law. Here's the standard. Here's what it demands. How's that working out for you? How's that going for you? So, friends, I want to make sure we understand who the Good Samaritan 
is primarily addressed to. Because often when you hear this taught, it's, it's applied to primarily to Christians who have given up attempts to justify themselves and are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Now, of course, there are important lessons here for Christians. We, we need to be on guard against falling back into this kind of self-justifying mindset that my eternal life is based upon my obedience. And furthermore, this also shows us as Christians the way we ought to love. Not because we're seeking to merit eternal life, but because God has etched his law upon our hearts, because God has changed us fundamentally from the inside, and that works itself out in our daily lives. But it's possible to preach this story, I think, in a way that just puts, puts a fresh load of guilt on the back of Christians. You, know, you, you need to love better. You need to love more. Well, that's probably true for all of us, but notice this conversation is not with a Christian who has trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and is seeking to love their neighbor. No, in context, this parable is spoken to self-justifying, hypocritical moralizers. The, the immediate context of Luke chapter 10 is actually the people of Capernaum. That's really important for understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because what's just happened is the people of Capernaum have rejected the offer of grace. They've rejected Jesus Christ as his disciples went and proclaimed the good news and the offer of forgiveness. They've said, we don't need Christ. We've, we've got the law of God. We've got our own obedience. We're doing just fine. Thank you very much. And so here's this man, this lawyer, this self-righteous representative of those people who stands up to test Jesus. You see what Jesus does? Jesus challenges and exposes such religious hypocrisy head on. He exposes this man for the fraudster that he is. And so my friends, for the person who says, I don't need Christ, I don't need forgiveness, I don't, I don't need grace, Jesus is saying in this passage, don't be a hypocritical fraud. Just just examine your life in light of the law of God for one second and your life will be exposed. You know, don't, don't reduce the law of God to your own standards because the law of God is not a reflection of your fallen nature. The law of God is a reflection of a holy, just, and good God. And that's the standard. So if you think you've, you've never done something that requires forgiveness what you've inevitably done is you've re reduced the law of God to nothing more than a description of your own imperfect and, yes, pathetic morality. Now, so there's a sting in this tale. It's meant to sting. After telling the story, Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And isn't, isn't this man's answer so interesting? The one who showed him mercy. He can't, even, he can't even name him. He can't even name the Samaritan. Such is his hatred for this man. Such is his seething hatred for this group of people. He can't even put the name Samaritan on his lips. And so as this parable comes to an end, and I want to see, I want you to see that it's actually at the end of a major section in Luke's gospel. 
where Jesus and his disciples have just been rejected by a group of self-righteous religious people. People who said in their hearts, I don't really, I don't really need forgiveness. I haven't really done anything that, that needs to be forgiven. I'm keeping God's law. I've been doing it from my youth. Things are going to turn out okay. And, and this story then ends with a real punch in the gut for such people. Because who is it that displays true religion in this story? We miss the offense of this, but the person displaying true religion in this story is not a Jew, it's a Samaritan. The most unlikely, uh, the most unexpected in the eyes of the Jews at that time. I actually think this parable is kind of a living, is kind of a picture of what we see happening in our own world today. We need to be reminded of this. We live in an increasingly secularized Western culture, and maybe sometimes we are tempted to get discouraged. Why are so many people denying the gospel? Why are so many people resisting the grace of God saying, I don't, I don't need forgiveness? Are you kidding me? Meanwhile, people all around the world, least expected, coming humbly to the Lord Jesus Christ and bowing at his feet and saying, I need grace. I need forgiveness. I can't. I can't keep the law of God. But this section, one other thing I want to say about it as we bring things to an end is it doesn't end the way it should. I don't mean that Luke left something out and I don't mean that the Holy Spirit made a mistake, but this story doesn't end the way that it should. This is no American movie. It ends, it ends in a really, with a really sad note. And what I mean by that is when Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan and said, you go and do likewise, what should have happened at that point? This lawyer should have come back to Jesus and said, okay, let's, hypothetical here. <laughs> let's just say I have failed to keep the law. Let's say I have not loved my neighbor as myself. Let's, let's say I, I, I haven't done what's required to inherit eternal life. Is there any hope for a moralizer like me? But, but sadly, we don't have that, do we? As far as we know, this man just walked away. And my friends, if any of you are spiritually where this man is at, I, I want to plead with you, don't make that the end of your story. If you ask Jesus if there's any hope of forgiveness and eternal life for hypocritical religious fraudsters, Jesus has already given you an answer in his word. And I want to point you to just one example of it. It's the preaching of Paul in Acts 13. Just listen to it. This is his message. He's preaching. And he says, Let it be known to you, brothers, that through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What's Paul saying? Do you, do you want to know the freedom of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life? Hear what Paul's saying. If you're looking to inherit eternal life by keeping the law, here's the bad news. You're going to hell. But here's the good news. Jesus came to set his people free from the condemnation of the law. Jesus came to give the forgiveness that his people need. Jesus came to give his people the hope of eternal life 
And that happens, my friends, when we stop trying to justify ourselves and we come to Jesus and we say, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. It's Christ and Christ alone. And may it be that we all pray that prayer together and go to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our trust in him and him alone. Let's pray together. Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Father, we pray this morning that you would guard us from the arrogance that we see in this lawyer. We pray that as a congregation, you would keep us from ever thinking that we can work our way into your good graces or merit eternal life by our obedience. And Lord, as we live in a world filled with spiritual fraudsters, people who live by this lie, we pray that you would help us to see right through it for the fraud that it is. And uh, Lord, help us to speak the truth into that. And help us to hold out clearly the, the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners and risen again for our everlasting life. Uh, we pray all of these things, praying, Lord, that you would reveal this truth to not only us, but our friends and our neighbors and those we come into contact with. And use us, Lord, to, to speak as Jesus spoke and offer grace to others. We pray this all in his name. Amen.